We are continuing a thought on our My Church series, and it uh, is related to the Grow, Connect, Go that, that is who we are and what we do and uh, what we want to be, what, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, the subtitle for it is Sign Me Up. So you might guess where we're headed, and uh, Royal Rangers uh, has set the has set the direction and the tone. Uh, I want to talk to you about what the world would call volunteerism. That's a nice term, and uh, it actually has a meaning. Uh, Richard Young wrote the following in introduction to a. A research paper, volunteerism in the United States is neither a new concept nor an uncommon activity. Historically, America has long recognized the importance of, quote, a societal responsibility to join in, to give freely of one's time, to assist or aid others, end of quote. This responsibility is frequently iterated in the literature. For example, Alexis de Cocqueville in 1831 stated in his seminal work Democracy in America that the US was a nation of joiners that regularly formed groups to meet or accomplish common goals. That's the end of Young's quote. I want to say it another way. God's kingdom has always depended on non-professionals to get the work of the kingdom done. Now he will pull out a Moses Joshua, he will pull out others who, who may seem more professional, especially by the time the Lord gets through working with them, they, they can do a lot of stuff. But the work is done by non-professionals. Uh, there is a, a line in the story of the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Let me just give you this historical background uh, God gave uh, the little piece of land at the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea south of Turkey to the children of Israel, Abraham's seed through Isaac and uh, Isaac's seed through Jacob. Those tribes came into this land that we call Israel. It's roughly the same territory, quite a bit smaller now than it was when God gave it to them, but he, he gave them this, they settled it, conquered it, and tried to, tried to live for God and signally failed. Uh, if you ever feel like you're just a washout spiritually, uh, <laughs> go back and read the history of how unfaithful those people were, and ultimately, because of their sin, they were, the land just kind of expelled them, just vomited them out of that country. They were taken into captivity for 70 years. And then when they came in the first time uh, and settled the land, there were, there were probably between one and a half, two million of them. There were over 600,000 um, men of military age that could bear arms and so the, the rest of the families and the younger and the older people 
would probably take that up close to two million. When they came back, it was just a few thousand. And it was, it was the saddest thing, but it was the Lord, and he was bringing them back. Sin will take you out, by the way. If you look at sin and say, I want to do that, and the Holy Spirit says, don't do that. See what you're doing? Listen to the Holy Spirit and don't do it. If you do it, fall down before God, ask his forgiveness, and renounce even the desire to do it because God is gathering a people who are holy, not because they are perfect, but because their heart is toward the Lord. So don't worry about sinless perfection. Worry about your attitude and being what God wants you to be. So these people came back into the land and started to rebuild the temple. They weren't building the city of Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, very few of them actually lived in the ruins that were Jerusalem because when they were expelled from the country, all the cities were just sort of leveled. Huge destruction took place. After a while, they, they had just kind of run down. You know, they were like wound up when they got there. And by the time a few years had passed, they'd be, be, begun to go more slowly, more slowly, more slowly. And finally, it, the work on the temple had stopped. And Haggai, the prophet, spoke to the uh, this guy is the governor, and he says, Now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. Now, they had felt like the Lord was gone away. They had, they had been opposed by some physical enemies who did not want this temple rebuilt, and they were really discouraged to the point that it just ground to a halt. All of the construction stopped. And Haggai was used by God to encourage them, and I love this, be strong, be strong, be strong, all you people of the land, for I am with you. Folks, if the Lord is with us, what are we worried about? Why are we afraid? Why are we awake nights thinking about things that the Lord will take care of? And so this, the call to us today is be strong. Number one, I want to I make this point. This volunteering, this attitude of sign me up is the way God gets his work done. In this same era of the children of Israel, uh, when they first came back to rebuild the land after it had been destroyed and they had been uh, taken away over into, most of them into Iraq, the guy that led them back was a priest by the name of Ezra. He was called to lead the rebuilding of the temple. And he was a good man. He loved the word, and God used him, and they, they pressed forward and finally got the temple done. Not that Ezra did all that work by himself, because he couldn't. Besides, he was a priest, okay? He was not a mason. He was not a carpenter. He 
had the help of all of these people who were giving their time to rebuild the temple. And then Nehemiah in this same era, after they got the temple rebuilt, Nehemiah came and led the rebuilding of the walls of the city of Jerusalem. Now, Nehemiah was not a civil engineer nor an architect. He was a cupbearer. This is a guy that knows how to control himself and handle things in the presence of the most powerful person on the earth at that time. He, he sort of became a counselor. That's what a cupbearer was. But, but his job was take the wine and serve it to the king. That's the cupbearer. God calls him to rebuild these walls. How did he do that? Everyone joined in. If you want to put yourself to sleep, sometime look in the book of Nehemiah and read the list of the people. It's, it's people that you don't care about. I mean, they're important people, but, you know, I mean, utterly meaningless except they were just like yours. Some of them were goldsmiths. There were, there were all kinds that some of them were the leaders of the community. And they built the section. By this time, several people had moved into Jerusalem and they built the section of the wall that was nearest their house. Now that is so unglamorous. I think that's a word. Uh, would you go for inglamorous? Anyway, there's not any glamour here. There's not any glory. It's not very, I mean, you got to get out there. And I was thinking about those goldsmiths who intricately work with this and, and are artists with this tiny stuff and they're having to they're having to handle boulders that weighed as much as any two or three of them and I don't think that did their hands any good but they did it they built the wall it was so great it took them 42 days 42 days to get those walls back up Amateurs, I mean, hey, honey, don't talk to me about not having the right kind of training. If God is with us, be strong, declares the Lord, and work for I am with you. Number two, everyone has a contribution. In Exodus, the 31st chapter, we back up in the history of Israel to the point just before they are going to come into this land the first time and possess it. And God has met with them and he gives them the law that will give them guidelines to keep them separate and we hope sort of holy until he can get out of this group the Savior, the Messiah. So the law comes and... They're supposed to set up a worship center, and since they're, they're living in tents and moving from time to time, they, they build a tent under the direction of the Lord. And this, this tent was, was seriously beautiful. And it was going to have embroidery work. It was going to have hammered gold uh, uh, Furniture, it's a hard word, furniture. Uh, 
a table, lampstand, and all of this stuff was going on. And there was two guys that the Lord pulled out that were the artists. And we might use the term artisan. Now, watch this. The Lord says, See, I've chosen Bezalel, son of Uriah, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And I've filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts, to make artistic designs for work in the gold, silver, and bronze, and to cut and set stones, and to work in wood, and engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. This dude was about half talented, okay? Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I have given skill to all the craftsmen to make everything I have commanded you. Now, you got these two incredible artists. And then there's a whole bunch of craftsmen that work with them. So this is not quite the everyone being involved yet, but notice what was going on because the materials they were working with have a source here. Moses summoned Bezalel and Aholiab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings from the Israelites, all they had brought to carry out the work of con constructing the sanctuary. Now, this is where everyone got to be a part, and it's like when we have a missionary in here, and they say, we really need your prayer, and if you got any money, we need that too. You know, they, they, they downplay the money part that we're supposed to get up and get them some money, but they say, we need your prayer. And that just fits so nicely here because the entire congregation had a piece of the action. They were bringing the gold. They were bringing the fine olive oil was one of the things they needed. They needed uh, purple cloth. They needed uh, scarlet cloth, all kinds of, of beautiful things. And they brought them and... Uh, in the middle of verse 3, it says, And the people continue to bring freewill offerings morning after morning. Now, this is one of the favorite passages for people who take offerings in all of the Scripture. So all the skilled craftsmen who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left their work and said to Moses, The people are bringing more than enough. <laughs> oh, sign me up for that. Uh, I'm that thing before it rolls off and embarrasses me. Then Moses gave an order and they sent word throughout the town. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained, restrained from bringing more because they had already had, what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. Now, usually we run in behind that and say, well, now we're not there yet. And perhaps we're not as far as... Don't sign up. We've got all we need. On the other hand, it's like the pastor who stepped up in the congregation and, and they, everybody knew the church roof was in trouble and, uh, and it was going to cost thousands to replace it. And he stepped up and with a great big grin said, I just want you to know that the roof is going to cost $40,000 and we have the money. Grin, you know, even crinkly at the eyes. And then he said, however, it is still in your pocket. 
And I want you to know that as we look forward to God building this congregation as far as the numbers are concerned, do you know that if, if God does what we are asking for in, in church growth in the next few years, that every week we're going to have to have several. And it's, and it's not five people a week. It's five individuals. It's five people who one at a time raise their hand or give their heart to the Lord in your house or in theirs with you leading them. It, it's, it's just that real, and there, everyone is going to have to bring an offering. And if we all do, I want you to know that the Lord has in this congregation now everything he needs. Many, in many cases, it's already out in the open, been given, it's working, it's wonderful. In some cases, it's still in your pocket. But the Holy Spirit is going, if you do what Joe just asked you to do and pray. Now, he's asking about Royal Rangers. And next week, we'll talk more about some of the other things that we need alongside Royal Rangers. You cannot imagine anything more valuable than what he's talking about. Can you? I mean, these people over here that were up here, they're gone now. Hope it's not the rapture. No, I'm still here. It's not the rapture. Okay. Uh, if what, what is more important than building these young men? Well, there's some things that may not be more important, but in our minds, we could come up with two or three things. It's according to where your heart is. And if you're already involved in that, by the way, those of you who are Royal Ranger commanders, don't sign up next week, okay? But do pray, all of you, Lord, how do you want me to respond to this? The Lord is not going to ruin your life. I've heard people say, oh, don't pray for patience because James says tribulation works patience and you're just asking for tribulation. You don't know your God. You don't know your father. Two things. First of all, if it's not a good time for you to get more patience, he won't answer that prayer. Secondly, if it's time for you to get patience, you don't even have to pray it. That's right. He's a perfect father. He wants us to grow up and be all that we should be to look like the older brother, the only begotten son. And it's pretty exciting when you realize God is not going to hurt you. Sign up with him for everything. God, I want Everything you have, he will move you along as fast as you can go. And for some of us, that's not real fast. But he will do it. It's wonderful. He is safe. He loves you. You don't think he loves you? Read John 3.16 again. I was whipping through there this morning in the Greek. Oh, man, that is so blessed. God so loved the world that he gave his, the, the Greek word there is only begotten. It's, it's his only natural born son. We're all adopted. Oh, man, I love adoption. Whoa, I love adoption. Is this good or what? I am brought in to the family. And the, the firstborn is the 
only one that was begotten by God by the power of the Holy Spirit through a miracle in Mary, that only begotten one is the model, and we're supposed to look like him. If you're not looking more and more like Jesus, talk to the Father about it. He's probably more concerned about that than you are. He has the power to move you along, and he is safe. He will not destroy you. He will save you. Wow. Number three, it is more fun to serve than to be served. I remember as a teenage kid around Southwestern, so broke. I mean, it's like I threw, when I had pennies in my pocket, I just threw them in my little, had a little desk about this wide, just threw it in a drawer. And when I'd get hungry late in the evening, if I had 15 of those pennies, I'd go up and down the halls trying to get somebody to change this into nickels or dimes because we could get a pint, not a half pint, a pint of milk for 15 cents. And that saved your life, you know. I mean, wouldn't die overnight. I mean, it was... So when we saw some old guy in a fancy sports car, I had a friend that would often say, he doesn't need that. I need that. <laughs> and we all shared that if we didn't say it. And we would quote this scripture. It's more blessed to give than receive, but I'm okay with receiving. <laughs> you know who says that? People who don't have anything to give. And it stinks to not have anything to give. I've been there. I lived a few years of my life where if I gave anything, it was like God from heaven had to reach down and grab it out of my hand. And I did a couple, and he blessed and honored that, and I'll tell you the story again sometime. But here's the deal. Jesus said it. It's more blessed to give than receive. So then you get an income, and you kind of get your affairs in order so that everything is covered, and there is discretionary funds, and you get to give them away to someone who needs it, and it makes a difference, and it changes something, and it's more blessed to give. In the first place, you're not stone broke. And it's not a great mystery that more blessed to give than receive. I can understand it myself. I've tried both ends of that. It's more blessed to give than receive. And the same thing is true when it comes to giving out of your heart into the lives of people. I'm so excited about our life groups. And these people and, and we, these people keep stepping forward and, and starting new life groups. And I, I really am about half cranked about what God's going to do. And we're going to have to have a lot of help to do the growth that we want to do to make a difference in eternal life in hundreds and hundreds of people. But listen, it's one at a time and it's coming out of the abundance of our heart and giving to people who don't have whatever it is. If you're a Sunday school teacher or if you're much better in working in shrub beds, we, we need help there. Have you looked? We just barely do keep the stuff out of the... We sort of do. It looks pretty good, but, you know, 
It's kind of a scramble, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The skill level is not the issue. It is that God is calling us to do. And as we do, there will be great, great victory. Now, I want, first of all, let me give you this testimony of the Apostle Paul as he's saying goodbye to this church. He says, in everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words that Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Next week, we will continue a little bit of this thought, and we will, there will be opportunities for you to, to meet some of the people who lead different organizations in the congregation, and you'll be able to, uh, if, you're, if, if the Lord is speaking to your heart, you'll be able to sign up for that and so forth. Um, here, here is what I want us to do. I want us to understand that every one who belongs to Jesus Christ is called to pray. If you're not praying for your church, your family, yourself, your nation, especially uh, in the, the leaders, the executive, legislative, and judicial branches in Washington and in your particular state, and for most of us, that would be Jeff City. If you're not doing that, the Lord is calling us, come on in and do the work. And you may say, I don't like anything about them, and I'm not going to pray for them. Uh, the Lord will be speaking to you because you're wrong, and he loves you enough not to leave you in that much error. He will speak to you. You don't have to like their policies. I didn't say approve their policies. I said pray for them. You may not like me, but you're supposed to pray for me. And if you don't like me, get over it. That's what I have to do with you. <laughs> you see, we are called to prayer. And when we pray, it changes things. It changes this heart, but it also changes things out here. Remember this line. This is one of the most wonderful things that the, the Lord has spoken to me in the last 12 months was there's no shelf life of prayer in heaven. It never gets pull-dated. Send it to God. It stays there. They take it and catch it in gold bowls, and God thinks it's incense. Is that great? That is so great. Now, I have a couple of people that are going to help me um, with a word. This week passed, um, our upperclassmen went to a missions trip, and this is a brief report. Step right over here so we get this light. And this beautiful, beautiful girl is my granddaughter. And this handsome son is the grandson of Royce, right there, hands up, yes. Talk to us. Okay. Um, a few of us went to Oklahoma this past week, and we didn't really know what to expect. I don't think we knew what we were getting ourselves into at all, but I just knew that I was going down there to serve them, to help them in whatever way I could. And one of my absolute favorite things I got to do was lead a group of younger girls about nine to 15, like as a small group, 
And from that age, I had no idea what to tell them. I was just like, God, please show me what to say, tell me what to do. And I just kind of was thinking, well, school's starting, so talk to them about school and like a lot of problems I had or about friends and me and Amanda Miller got to do this. And it was really cool to see like we told their, told them that our stories and stuff like that and instantly when we were done, they just started talking to us about all the things they are having troubles with and going through and it was really cool to see how if you're willing to step up and give God everything you can, how he'll reward you in that. And another thing was going down there, I didn't know what to expect, like I said, but I gave them everything I could. And it was crazy to see how they gave me back so, so much more. That's I walked cool. away with just on a personal level with God so much stronger and just because of them, just because sharing with them, being with them and the acceptance and love that they gave to us, even though we were the new people, they didn't know us very well, but we walked in there just as family to them. And we got to see them too. So when Jeremy brought the word and it was good, people weren't, these kids were not afraid to walk down to the altars. They came in packs. Yeah, <laughs> and when we went up to the pray for them, they turned around and started praying for us. Praise and God. whatever we needed. And it was really cool to see that if you're willing to give God, you know, your time, your effort, he'll give you back so, so much more. Praise and that God. was really cool for me to see. Uh, one of the things that Jeremy kind of told us right as we got there, you know, is that we're there to fill a need. You know, they, they need us to come and help with whatever, you know, whatever they have going on, whatever they need us to do. So we're not there for ourselves. We're not there to look cool or, you know, to be whatever, but we're there to fill a need. And so, you know, that really kind of sunk in, you know, whenever we started helping out and like with worship, um, it wasn't really a great setup, you know, not a whole lot of great sound system or anything like that. Uh, we didn't have drums and uh, my mic stand kept falling down, so I'd have to like squat down as I'd go. And um, <laughs> so a lot of stuff like that, you know, just not going well, you know, and I just, it kind of, it'll get frustrating, but you know, something that really kind of stuck in my mind is I feel like, you know, if if we really have something really great going on here, uh, the devil is probably going to try and work against it. And um, things like that, you know, kind of just make me feel like, you know, maybe we should just work through this and make it better. And um, and so just things like that. And like even, you know, my voice cracked, you know, on a song. And it's just, <laughs> it's not what I wanted at all. But, I mean, God worked through it. And um, I really feel like, you know, times like that. And then in my room, um, I was with four boys from the camp. And um, I'm exhausted from it because... They like to stay up late and just, you know, yell and that kind of stuff. <laughs> but just the fact that I could, you know, be there and um, pour into their lives, you know, and just help them with whatever they're going through was really great for me. And, uh, you know, just whatever we could do at the camp was just, you know, really showed us how, you know, when we serve and whenever we do that, you know, God is working through us and he's helping us to grow in him through that. Thank so. you. Thank you. Good job. Good job. It is so powerful when the leader says, gang, it's not about us. It's about their needs. And as you're praying this week, even those of you who are serving, the Lord may want to adjust some stuff you're doing, uh, add to it, take away whatever. And those of you who, who don't even really pray that well, God has called us to do that. Pray. I don't know how to pray. 
talk to God, okay? Just talk to God. Don't pray. Don't pray. Especially if you're a Roman Catholic. Well, of course, you don't have to worry about how to pray. You can just read it. After you read it, talk to God and let him talk to you because he will speak to you. When these, when these young people went for the week, I was saying to myself again, they will be a blessing, they will come back, and there will be ch people changed because they go. The, the ones who are going are going to be changed vastly more than the ones to whom they minister. That's always the case. You ask anyone who goes on these mission trips, whether they're young or whether they're adults, just that's the way it is. Now, here is what the Lord says. Would you just close your eyes and let me read this to you? The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. May we pray. Father, I thank you today because you are with us.